0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Fighting Failure. What you're about to hear is episode five. It's been slightly cut for length, um, but what you're also going to hear is I'm going to be commenting to some of the points I made in this episode and some of the points my co-host made, because I think uh, there are some misconceptions that we had at the time of recording, and I wanted to clear some of those up so that we have on the record what my current position is on the issue of vegetarian, veganism, plant-based diets, because I am currently vegan. At the time, I was still a a flexitarian, if you will. Um, So enjoy, and I'll see you at the end.
1: This is episode five, take, well, this is the only take we're going to do. Starting to record. Putting my phone in the little thingamajig, and start talking. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Fighting Failure.
0: I'm honestly amazed by how different my voice sounds, because, you know, generally, you know, when people listen to their voice being recorded and it's sent back to them, it sounds strange. But I get used to that because I edit, like, all of these episodes. But I'm amazed, hearing my voice, uh, probably about a year ago by now, it's really quite eye-opening and it's very strange and also quite cringy.
2: Oscar has an amazing,
1: amazing um, podcast voice. It's about the pitch, not just the stress. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Fighting Failure. There's a pitch as well as a stress. And...
0: Back then, I used to record with my phone. I'm quite amazed how sort of clean it sounds. It doesn't sound crackly or anything. Obviously, now I record with a microphone. and Hopefully, you can hear the difference. But, you know, not, not too bad at all for just recording with my phone. So, if you want to start a podcast, I guess that's quite easy to do.
3: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Fighting Failure. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Fighting Failure. This episode is titled Vegetarianism and Veganism, Friend or Foe.
0: Hisham's voice sounds so robotic, it's crazy.
3: So to start, I would like to highlight a few stats which will be important to keep in mind for this episode and perhaps for the entire agriculture section. According to a demographic which I found on a document released by REDD plus policymakers I'll
0: save you the next bit of waffle.
3: So we're looking at this statistic, and as always, we'll be in
1: the show notes, and it's it's sort of a vertical pie chart showing the proportion of drivers of deforestation from which sectors. So, for example, in all of them, agriculture uh, makes up 70% of deforestation. And this is split pretty evenly between commercial agriculture, which is obviously growing stuff to sell, and subsistence agriculture, which is where people grow things to eat themselves.
0: I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty impressed with how I explained this.
1: The second chart shows the, rather than a sort of percentage, it shows the just raw amount of deforested area. in in Latin America, this is by far the highest at 45,000 square kilometres per year. That is the size of... Let me find a notable one. That's the size of Denmark. I mean, we, it, it's sort of closer to Estonia or the Dominican Republic, but Denmark is a more notable.
0: Okay, so I just cut out all the bits about the statistics. It's not really relevant so much to this discussion.
3: So now we're going to move on to some benefits of vegetarianism and veganism.
0: Yes, bring it on.
3: So first of all, it directly reduces demand for uh, meat. So that's reducing... Uh, livestock numbers, kind of, because the meat industry has less demand, so they they'll have less need to supply uh, to supply us with meat produce, and so that reduces livestock numbers, and hence the of, amount of methane, which I guess specifically cattle and um, specifically cattle produce in many ways, <laughs> as well as reducing trampling of soil and grass by livestock and preventing some amount of soil erosion caused by livestock.
0: Exactly. So we know that there's a huge amount of emissions caused by having livestock. And if we don't need as much meat, then fewer livestock will be around to produce those emissions.
3: And I guess since most of the world's crop is grown not to feed humans, but also to feed animals, you would then be reducing the agricultural sector, which is which is kind of uh existent to provide feed for animals. Yeah, I'd really like to expand on that. So... There's this really cool map,
1: I've just pasted the link in the chat, which shows how the United States uses its land. And you'll see that basically this huge amount, probably just less than a third of the United States, is just for cows to graze. So most of, and and then you'll see that there's this small bit off to the side of that which is livestock feed and then just above that maybe half or from half to a third of the amount of agriculture for livestock feed is for is for food we actually eat so the point of veganism is not just cutting out these cows and the space they use but actually a huge amount of the food we grow is just grown is just grown for animals and not actually for us and because of thermodynamics
0: experimenting with echo effect i guess
1: Every time you move one step up the food chain, you have less and less energy per amount of sun you put in. So, you know, you start at the bottom with the producers like plants.
0: Is this thermodynamics? sounds like trophic levels to me.
1: Which take energy straight from the sun. So if you eat a plant, you're getting the biggest amount of energy but then if you feed the plant to a cow the cow uses up some of that energy and wastes it so you actually have to sort of have 10 times as much plant to get the same amount of energy from a cow uh, and that's that's why it's, it's so inefficient not just to eat meat uh sorry it's, that's why it's so efficient to eat meat uh, because actually if you see the food we eat is just a tiny proportion of the u.s and if you took all of that cow pasta and livestock feed you could and reforested it or repurposed it you could really reduce co2 emissions by a huge amount
0: well, done past me that was good
3: yeah and also I would just like to point out some of the some of the you know the feed feed grown Uh, a lot of it is actually soy products and corn products so is that right I believe so I'm I'm pretty sure that was yeah I I believe so yeah when I was when I was researching I came across that a lot that that soy products I was shocked because I I usually think of soy as you know. as being used for production of soy milk.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point he sure makes there is that the sort of things that we see yeah, that are soy, or the products that we use that have soy is soy milk and like soy burgers, which are a lot of like classic vegan foods and tofu, tempeh, and that sort of thing. And I suppose also soy lecith- thins are an emulsifier in a lot of products, but we don't generally uh, see how much soy has grown into making that beef burger a lot more soy than if you just chose the vegan patty.
3: And also soy produce, so like uh, fake meat kind of, which I've, I've been eating quite a bit of because I've uh, transferred to a pr- primarily vegetarian diet, which is another reason why I kind of wanted to do this episode. But anyway, so I was shocked to see that a, a, a large amount of feed is actually coming from soy. And I was not so shocked to, to hear that a large amount of feed comes from corn, but um, it's it's that kind of crop which is used to, to grind down into feed. And also, that's it, feed is not that healthy for the animals which is being given to. It doesn't have much n- nutritional value. So it's also kind of putting the animals in a worse situation until they're slaughtering. So so it's not necessarily—it's not necessarily a great thing.
0: Well, I mean, slaughtering animals isn't a great thing at all, really.
3: Anyway, um, moving on. But another benefit of uh, transferring to vegetarianism and veganism is that.
0: I feel like this is the point where I should just say like we should use the term plant-based diet instead because obviously vegetarians still use a lot of dairy and egg products which have similar sort of environmental costs um, and veganism is more of a sort of animal liberation position. So I would ask my past self and, and past T-show to use the term plant-based diet because it also sort of shows exactly what it means in an environmental term which is sort of living off the, the primary consumers or the primary producers um, of the food chain and living off plants, rather than um, saying vegetarian slash veganism is a bit clunky, I guess.
3: In reducing demand for meat, you also reduce the need for meat to be transported, the energy to freeze it, and the plastic.
0: But like, this is the point where it's like, that's a problem with all sorts of foods as well. If you think about like fruits coming from Ecuador, for example, bananas coming from Ecuador, all sorts of plants. There are also sort of plant products that also need to be frozen, that also need to be transported, that also need to be wrapped in plastic, uh, or at least... They are currently wrapped in plastic, but they still have a far smaller sort of environmental cost. And so I don't think this is necessarily a thing against meat. The thing against meat is the huge production carbon cost. And I think transport costs are always overstated in relation to food when they really make up about 10% on average of the carbon cost of any food product.
3: To wrap it. So that's a that's a, uh, that's a lot of uh, reduce for demand in, in those sectors. Anyway, moving on to the problems now. <laughs> The top meter of soil worldwide holds about 2,200
2: billion tons of carbon. That's three times the amount of carbon that's held in the atmosphere in the form of CO2. When the carbon store is in the soil is exposed to air, um, it forms a covalent bond with the oxygen and becomes the notorious greenhouse gas CO2. We were talking about before when these cattle are trampling soil, they're of course exposing the the soil they're exposing the carbon soil in the soil
3: to the air and that's creating the co2 that's i was just going to say that that's that's a significant thing to remember because um, it's tillage
0: i was just thinking that
3: which is the the which is the up overturning of soil to produ- to to plant crops, I guess the soil also uh, loses fertility. So it's not only pre- it's not only kind of forming carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, but it's also reducing the soil's capacity to store carbon in the future. Um, and this makes it even harder to grow plants and crops in the future in future years. And that causes that will slowly cause the agriculture industry to 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 decline because it's in you know in the coming years it's going to become. Um, far harder to to plant crops because of the lack of soil fertility. And I th- for now I think we're gonna move on to the importing of fruits and veg.
0: Okay, I've just cut out like th- three minutes of waffle about tillage, even though like the next episode was actually all about tillage. Um, and now we're moving to something of a more juicy topic that needs to be debunked.
2: As mentioned in our episode on global supply chains, demand often leads. Um, in this case, the demand for vegetables and fruits that are that are either exotic or hard to grow locally during, during winter are shipped to wherever they're in demand. So I don't know, mangoes, strawberries, berries in general. I, I know that like in places like Malawi and well, even in Delhi sometimes, it's hard to find berries Um,
0: I mean, even in England, you can generally only get frozen berries in the winter.
1: Yeah, the worst thing about berries is that they have to be shipped by plane, so they can't be shipped by by truck.
0: Okay, so I just did a quick fact check on this, and yes, berries are shipped by air, but generally most berries, like in the USA or in the UK, do come from uh, local farms, so they'd be shipped by truck. But if they're being imported from across the world, they do come by air, not by ship. So this,
3: of course, puts tons of emissions out just to transport them. And um and so one small point, which we which I just wanted to bring up um in the midst of all of our points, I guess, is fertilizers. So,
0: I mean, I'm going to have to stop you right there, Show, because like and we also did an entire episode about agricultural chemicals, fertilizers and all this sort of uh, stuff. And there's absolutely huge problems with fertilizers. But if you're going to bring up any problems with the production of sort of staple plants like soy and corn, Um, or peas, or whatever you use to make sort of vegan alternatives, or if you're just eating lentils or whatever, if you're going to make any sorts of these points, you, we have to remember what we said in the sort of pro-vegetarian side of the episode, which was that obviously far, far fewer plants are produced um, to, for anyone who's on like a plant-based diet. And so uh, it's, it's essentially pointless to argue that there's a problem with the production of fertilizers and the use of fertilizers, because obviously there is a huge problem, but also obviously... It's a far bigger problem for anyone who's eating meat. So, I I mean, that's something that we have to bring up, is that if we're going to be talking about um, the problems with the production of fruit and veg, then those problems are more applicable to someone who eats more meat than someone who eats less meat. Um, the, the, the points about the sort of shipping of uh, fruit and veg is, is also sort of useless, because I don't think people who eat steaks uh, avoid raspberries or blueberries. So, yeah
3: fertilizers um so manure and other forms of fertilizers put out large amounts of methane because of decomposition and they also put out nitrous oxide and co2 which are all greenhouse gases and so those are some main contributors of uh global warming so i guess that is part of the problem with agriculture is that the use of fertilizer and so it's i guess it's not then just that cows uh, that cattle i guess um produce methane by burping, but also through their manure. And so in, in using manure for fertilizer, what is actually happening is that we're putting out more, um, we're putting out more uh, GHGs, greenhouse gases. And so that's.
0: So I think there are actually some sort of renewable energy providers that use manure to create either like a sort of natural gas biofuel or just to burn it to get the energy from that rather than letting it decompose into methane on the fields.
1: Moving on. Deforestation to create cropland not only releases huge amounts of carbon dioxide and reduces the amount of carbon dioxide that can be absorbed also without roots holding down the soil and the tree canopy to prevent direct rainfall on the soil the overturning of soil becomes much easier leading to soil erosion which means carbon dioxide loss from the soil and a reduced soil capacity to store carbon dioxide so this this is desertification this is the process by which areas which were rich in plants and nutrients turn into deserts because Deforestation is is lacking the stability that tree roots provide to hold the soil together and keep all these nutrients, and then it just gets blown away by wind and rainstorms and all of this. That's a really huge problem.
0: And obviously, most cropland is used for animal agriculture. Most soy that's growing, for example, in Brazil, is used as cattle feed. Um, and most deforestation that happens for cropland is for cropland to expand to grow corn and soy for the expanding demand for meat. Um, and so, again, if you switch to a plant-based diet, you're going to have far smaller demand for cropland. And in fact, like if everyone went on a plant-based diet immediately, obviously that's not going to happen. But if it did, then we would not need to expand cropland anymore because we already have more than enough cropland to feed everyone. Not necessarily that it's practical to use the cropland in that way, but that we have enough cropland to do that.
1: And so another thing is that commercial soybean growth is one of the primary contributors to deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. This means that every time you sip some soy milk or have soy products such as tofu, you could be increasing demand for deforestation in the Amazon to produce more soy.
0: What did I just say? First of all, I officially retract that statement, but also like every time you eat beef or other animal products, you're contributing to the destruction of the rainforest because of the production of soy. Like, I think a lot of soy milk brands, and, and I think I'm probably about to say this knowing myself, use rainforest-free soy, or if you get organic, it's not probably not gonna be grown like that because they're all sort of GMO soy, um, and maybe it's not such a big problem in the USA, I think, I, um, but across the world generally, most soybeans are used for feeding animals. And so, like, soy products to for vegan alternatives use f- on in general far less soy than their meat alternatives so that's a, just a ridiculous statement I made and I, uh, I take that back for sure.
1: So if you're having soy milk you should look make sure look for sustainable alternatives or have maybe a different milk. Um, I have experimented with veganism myself. Yeah I've experimented with veganism myself. I did a vegan Monday thing. I ended up stopping it because I just ended up eating the leftovers of the non-vegan food the next day.
0: That's a very cringe statement. You can't be vegan for just one day a week because it's not about the diet. It's about caring for animals. So yeah, that's very cringe. I also take that back.
1: But when I did, I would drink oat milk and I I actually tried all the different vegan milks. I think soy milk's kind of gross. Almond milk is okay, but almonds use a huge amount of water to be cultivated.
0: Still not as much as dairy milk.
1: But oat is a pretty normal grain, and that actually tastes really good. It does still use a lot of water, so you've just got to be careful. But I guess dairy cows are not exactly good for the environment anyway. So that's, that's just important to keep in mind as well, is that soy, not all this vegan alternatives are necessarily incredibly good for the planet. However, it is very difficult to take over beef as, as the worst food for the environment.
0: Yeah, I mean, on their own, there could be some problems with the production of vegan alternatives, but they're alternatives, and they're much better than what they're replacing.
3: Milk as well. And now moving on to our last kind of what what we're going to be discussing, I guess, in our plums, problems, our last problem is pesticides.
0: Yes, I mean, again, there was an entire episode made about pesticides and all the problems. And again, most pesticides are used on crops which are used to grow food for animals. So if you're eating a meat burger, there's going to be a lot more pesticides used to create that meat burger than if you have a vegan burger even if both are made from soy that was grown in the same plantation far more soy would be used obviously for the meat burger because then it's 10 times as much probably on average if you think about the trophic level stuff we talked about before so you know pesticides are a huge huge problem but they're not a problem with vegan alternatives they're a problem with agriculture as a whole and uh, eating a meat-based diet or a diet in which you consume a lot of meat obviously has a far larger use of pesticide crops than if you don't.
3: Um and pesticides alike tilling reduce soil fertility and cause the release of soil carbon and moreover pesticides can directly affect animals that we the animals that we share our planet with.
0: The cognitive dissonance here is outstanding.
3: However, all of this will be covered in detail in our episodes on pesticides coming soon and I'm pretty sure that we're going to cover cover this in our conservation section and kind of how pesticides affect animals so and my one of my favorite kind of solutions is permaculture because it it there are many it, well, basically, permaculture is a method of sustainable farming, and it involves many concepts to reduce many of the things mentioned in our problem section.
0: I'm just going to cut the rest of the section out. You can go back to the original episode to listen to it.
2: So continuing on, um, the use of renewables and sustainable sources can be used to reduce consumption of electricity and crucial researches such as water. So some examples of sustainable water are natural s- natural springs, underground water, or or a very small amount of water diversion from a river or stream to water crops during the day. An example of sustainable energy sources are solar installations.
3: Also, so another concept is the, is the reuse of materials to build the necessary structures for crop harvests, and for, if, if you're kind of doing a lodging, I guess you can also um, reuse, like, corn stalks, for example, to, um, to create accommodation. And this was really cool, because I actually, at Christmas... Um, around Christmas time, just before Christmas this year, um, we did this little road trip in Malawi, and um, I guess on our way back from Nika, we did this stay at at this permaculture lodge, and they were actually sourcing. So to, they had like we stayed in Cobb house, and it was made of. Mud and corn cobs, which was very interesting, but it was very effective and it it actually stayed cool inside and it was pretty nice so that's cool um so I guess that sustainable sourcing and reusal of materials is is a crucial part of permaculture It's like the um the what they're called plastic bricks. The ones where you take a plastic bottle and then Yeah, it is. And they also had a they also had a house with that in the structure. Um, that might have also they might have also had some of those within Cobb House and, and they, they would make them like when you'd come if you had any plastic waste in your car, you could give it to them and they'd start stu- they'd finish stuffing this these huge, heavy, dense bricks of plastic and they'd also use that to kind of build their structures. And they didn't actually use much plastic um because they they grew all of their they grew all of their um crops using permaculture in their own garden on a mountainside which is very interesting because usually when you think of cropland you think of this flat flat kind of um plain land so um and they did a very good job of it so anyway that's something to keep in mind
0: I was going to cut that but that was actually a very interesting discussion don't know how related it is to the topic but yeah nice
1: so another big part of permaculture or another common practice with permaculture is the reasonable coexistence of trees and crops. For example, trees can assist in crop growth by providing nitrogen, which we've talked about is very important for plants, to the soil, preventing direct rainfall on crops, which we talked about again with the sort of Amazon canopy, leaf fall resulting in natural fertilizer, so rather than, you know, buying fertilizer, and more, while still leaving enough open space for sunlight to reach the crops beneath. This this is a method of agroforestry. So what's really interesting about this is that it's sort of how nature intended is that you've got the the symbiotic relationship between trees and plants and lots of different plant organisms all living in the same place coexisting and benefiting each other providing shade providing nitrogen all of this is what makes a healthy ecosystem and our current system of farming where we just have one crop planted on its own is really not as sustainable and that's why we have to use so much fertilizer but if you have this agroforestry and this combination of different plants in the same place it is so beneficial and it it just saves you a lot of money and it's it's really quite amazing i can't articulate it
3: another method of agroforestry is the planting of a fruit bearing forest that holds down the soil and prevents soil erosion absorbing co2 and providing the farmer with a sustainable income and buyers with good local fruit and actually i'm me and oscar discovered this form of agroforestry so my dad kind of worked here in Malawi with the other other form of the other form of agroforestry, which we just mentioned prior to this. But this form of agroforestry we kind of discovered through um Kiss the Ground. And we I actually I know the singer, um, Jason Mraz, he's pretty famous. And he he's an agroforester, he's a, he's an agroforester as well, which is very interesting. And he has this huge forest of fruits and he grows stuff, he grows like lemons and limes, and he grows um pears, apples. I uh, I'm I might be mistaken, but like cherries and so he has all these fruits and they come in at different times during um summer. So he he has kind of this income throughout the summer. So it, like once um kind of whatever pear season passes, then he has income from whatever crop comes next. So I found that pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think, as you said, what's important to remember with this sort of agroforestry is it means you can get a harvest all year round rather than tilling a harvest. And if your harvest goes wrong and you're just harvesting one type of, one type of crop, then you're sort of screwed for the next year until the next harvest. But if you've got agroforestry, you've got a constant stream of different harvests and that's, that's really beneficial. Yeah, I mean, production of minimal waste is a really important one um, because this permaculture, again, is is all about sustainability. Uh, there's, there's the production of minimal waste. It, it produces very little. OK, I'm going to cut that out. That's too fine. What's great, because it produces little waste. <laughs> yeah.
0: I kept that in because that was actually quite funny.
1: <laughs> we need to stand up to big companies that do not use sustainably sourced ingredients through social media and demand change. It doesn't matter how we do this through boycotting. I know he shows been going without Nutella. Um, ho- however you do it, we need to stand up. We need to act as a group of consumers to stand up to these heartless companies who are who are destroying the
3: environment just for their profit. And uh, I guess this will be covered in our article and video club. But it's not always feasible to boycott everything. So you have to kind of wean yourself off, like maybe maybe kind of. I guess you can't entirely boycott some vegetable oil because you you need them to cook but it is still like you can kind of reduce your 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 consumption of them i guess so it's kind of this this minor boycotting of such products can also help even if you're not fully boycotting the way i have been with nutella for the past i think three or four years now i've been boycotting nutella
1: i just don't like it
3: okay <laughs> congrats us
0: first of all like Episode 14 was all about palm oil and this idea of boycotts and is it the most effective way to do it? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but, you know, something I've been talking about with a few friends recently is, like, what what is the point of boycotting? If you're doing it for the environment, you sort of do have to pick your battles because ultimately all food production has some sort of carbon cost. And so how far are you willing to go with your boycott? So what I do, for example, is I boycott, like, all animal products because I know that those are the worst for the environment and also because animal animals rights and that sort of thing but i think there are a lot of people who like and we talked about this in 20 episode 22 about this sort of idea of complacency a lot of people like boycott palm oil and it's not easy it's not difficult either and it's sort of a sense of complacency i boycott palm oil you know my food is fine from the environment when in fact they're eating a reasonably large amount of meat and dairy products so i think while it's worth considering the impact of things like palm oil like choose your battles because you can't boycott everything But if you're gonna, maybe I would suggest you know boycott animal products because those it's easier to boycott. It's a blanket rule. Uh, There's a lot of alternatives available, and then like that's an absolutely huge reduction in the carbon production cost of your food. Um, And then you you sort of go on from there with that sort of that's sort of the baseline of uh, how your food production affects the environment.
3: So and finally just keep things local, which is this concept of, I guess, if you can go to a, a local farmer's market or whatever and find uh, locally grown vegetables, locally um, sourced meat, even if if you're not a vegetarian or vegan.
0: I mean, like, I don't know about that. Locally sourced meat, again, meat, the transport is a minimal component of that. And this idea that sort of because something's local, it's better, is it's a bit of a fallacy really. It doesn't mean that much. Every farm is local to somewhere. Um, and I would definitely say, you know, if you can go to the farmer's market and choose vegetables, but not everyone can do that, not everyone has the time, not everyone has the money to do that. And what I would suggest instead, and so the way Sam said, if, if you're not a vegetarian or vegan, I would suggest that people do adopt a plant based diet for the environment. And, and really, what you should do rather than, or not necessarily what you should do, but what I would suggest to do is that rather than spending a lot of your time and money trying to get locally grown veg at a farmer's market, choose uh, plant based options um, instead of meat options even if that's just at the supermarket, because that will have a really big impact and it's not too difficult to do.
3: But keeping things local also reduces the the need to transport things, the need to, um, I I guess, use GMOs to help things.
0: That doesn't really make that much sense because each GMO farm is local to someone. Um, But I guess if you're in a country like the UK, British green produce is unlikely to have GMO. Whereas if you're in the US, US green produce is likely to have GMO.
3: That's an easy thing which all of you listeners can do.
0: And another easy thing to do is to swap meat meals for plant-based ones. You can use like plant-based mince or swaps sort to of fat for lentils. Or if you're going out, just choose a, a plant-based meal instead of a, a meat-based one. Or if you have some sort of catered option, you know, like if you're at school uh, lunch hall or something like that, then you can also choose the plant-based option there. And so a lot of times it's very easy to make these sort of swaps to a far less carbon intensive food stock um, and that's something I would recommend doing. Of course, uh, keeping things local and eating plant-based is not mutually exclusive. The best option is, I guess, to have local plant-based food. But I think the easier thing to do is to switch to plant-based rather than trying to get everything locally.
3: So I recommend that highly if you're not already doing it, like many of us are. Hello, Monty. What are you doing there?
2: Oscar's dog just came.
3: Monty? Hello? Where are you gone? Oscar's beloved little pug. And now we are going to move on to the article and video club.
0: If you've listened to any recent episodes, you'll know that we discontinued this quite a while ago. And first of all, it's like a very strange name, like the article and video club. Like we're, like it's not a book club, like a book club like makes sense, but we're already on a podcast. Then we, then we start article and video club. It's it's a bit clunky and I'm glad we removed it because um, it sort of started with my section. I started it and then... I don't know if i intended it for it to be every episode but it sort of did turn out that way um but yeah i'm i'm glad we stopped doing that it really wasn't that useful i think the inspiration for the article and video club came from the cortex book club but that was sort of where they do an entire episode about an actual book and i think i adapted it in a very very bad way but anyway let's have a listen
3: So first, first things, uh, first things first, we have this, we have this YouTube video, which I found by Greenpeace uh, UK, I think Greenpeace.uk or Greenpeace UK. Anyway, basically what, what they were talking about is how, how to boycott, how to kind of prevent the consumption of palm oil. And I found this pretty interesting. So, so what the, it was this very interesting video on, on how to reduce, how to kind of demand a change in how to, demand a change in in the way in the ingredients that these big companies use like palm oil so basically palm oil is the most efficient oil and it gives it, it give giving the most uh giving the most produce in the smallest amount of land but the problem is that it's grown by cutting down rainforests such as you know um in in Borneo uh, Indonesia and so and that that harms um ecosystems greatly and it's 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 devastating also because in in the chopping of trees i guess palm trees you might think oh it's just replacing trees with more trees so what's the problem but palm trees are not very good at producing um oxygen and and they're um however these these rainforests are so and i guess it's also about the biodiversity and habitats and the huge diversity of plants in a rainforest and yeah so like orangutans can't survive orangutans can't survive on it, with, with, in, a palm, in a palm tree forest and, and they also, you know, they, they need the, the natural fruit of their habitat so they, they can't eat palm, the, the palm fruit. So it, it's, it, yeah, definitely harms the ecosystem. So
0: as always, we've got this sort of cognitive distance about caring so much for orangutans but also not really caring too much about like farmed animals.
3: Um, simply boycotting and attempting to switch generally won't solve the problem even though it will kind of reduce the problem. Kind of because it re- in reducing the m- demand, you reduce the supply. Um, Wilmar is the biggest trader of dirty palm oil. So an example of something that you could do is to expose brands such as uh, such as Wilmar to protect the forest. So through social media and uh, publicly, you know, m- maybe create a poster and put it up in your school. And moving on, I also found this interesting BBC article um, titled, Why the vegan diet is not always green.
0: Well, I mean... First red flag here is that veganism isn't a diet, it's a lifestyle.
3: Veganism is often uh, is often thought of as much better for the environment, ve- veganism and vegetarianism for that matter.
0: Yes, plant-based diets do have excellent environmental benefits.
3: But we must be careful um, with what we replace meat with. Um, on average, veganism is more environmentally friendly than eating meat. Exactly. But many vegan foods can generate huge amounts of emissions. Yeah,
0: As can many meat-based foods. Like soy. The vast majority of which is fed to cattle.
3: The article follows the story of many different vegan fav- favorites, so...
0: Or should we use the verb cherry picks?
3: Fruit and veg that are transported by air can
1: create more greenhouse gas emissions than poultry.
0: And they've chosen the least carbon-intensive form of meat. So, th- And also, like, who replaces fruit and veg with chicken?
1: There's often this divide about, you know, meat is bad and veg is good. And to be fair pork beef it's all those are really bad but poultry being quite small scale can be they're still still bad for the environment but it's not nearly as bad as beef and so then once you are bringing into the factor that you might have poultry sourced locally
0: I take that back that's not correct
1: but you're having your fruit and veg flown in from the other side of the world that transportation emissions can actually mean that some fruit and veg if it's transported from far away um will create more much more greenhouse gas emissions um
0: but i i'm guessing most people that eat poultry are also eating fruit and veg that are flown in from aboard it's this idea that it's sort of you know you eat fruit and veg or you eat poultry but i think it's not really that sort of clear-cut
1: so we mentioned raspberries and blueberries because they're so delicate. They have to be flown in by plane that creates an, an out of season, at least. And that creates huge amounts of emissions. Uh, it's said in the article that asparagus in the UK creates 5.3 kilograms of carbon dioxide per kilogram of asparagus.
0: I, I don't eat that much asparagus.
1: There's also problems like such as fertilizers that are being used in growing these plants that we've mentioned before. And we will probably be talking about that a lot in this agriculture section. It's the fertilizers that are sort of destroying the soil, they're not sustainable, it's it's a bit like a drug that you need more and more to achieve the same amount of plant growth.
0: 100% true. 100% more applicable to meat-based diets.
1: Uh, There's also the big problem of water. So avocados use a huge amount of water. When they're grown in California, they require a bathtub of water every day.
0: Yeah, I mean, people have brought up avocados a lot when I've talked to people about this sort of thing dairy for example uses an absolutely huge amount of water and obviously like meat eaters don't not eat avocado so it's it's not this sort of although like this i think this article went through like the idea of this here's all the bad ingredients in a vegan smoothie and it's like yes but also look how much water dairy is using look how much water beef is using i think i wouldn't say we have the license to use more water from avocados but i'd say that just going using a plant-based diet as far smaller water footprint, even if there are some outliers. It's not exclusive to veganism, these problems.
3: And Oscar, I was wondering, is, is that, is that, per, um, I know you kind of summarized the ending of this article. Um, and I was wondering if in the, so I found the article, but I didn't get to that part of the article because I needed a little bit of assistance. And I was wondering if that's a bathtub of water. Is that for each avocado produced? Or is that a bathtub of water for each tree? That's a, a bathtub of water
1: for each tree, each day in the summer. So anyway, uh, another thing that requires a huge amount of water is dairy. Nuts.
0: It really is hilarious how much like this article is saying, oh, look, you know, nuts have a big water footprint, as if meat eaters don't eat nuts for some reason.
1: Uh, so we talk about the almonds as well as the cashews. Uh, these nuts uh, require huge amounts of water to be grown just because of their nature, I guess. And so that's important to bear in mind is that they're often grown in places so don't have huge supplies of water like California, uh, which means that water scarcity can be a problem. And it can also lead to illegal diversion of rivers as well for irrigation because they need to be constantly irrigated. So this is an example of a place where technological solutions, for example, uh, if you're having a soil most, if you're measuring the soil moisture very specifically and only delivering water where it's needed to avoid wastage is definitely a, that's a very exciting prospect uh, to minimize water use. Then there's also, we talked about deforestation of palm oil, but there's also deforestation to plant cocoa
0: because everyone knows that only vegans eat chocolate.
1: For your delicious chocolate, uh, as well as energy needed to both heat rooms for mushrooms and process fake meat. So we eat a lot of fake meat, but that does require energy to create the fake meat.
0: Yeah, but obviously it's far smaller carbon footprint than what you're replacing.
1: So those are just some of the problems with veganism.
0: It's not a problem with veganism, it's a problem with an execution of a plant-based diet, really.
1: So it's really important to have a huge disclaimer here. Veganism is almost always better for the environment, but you have to be careful because not all vegan foods are necessarily exemplary, have exemplary environment records like the ones we talked about. There are plenty, of course, that are really good. Like, I don't know, cabbage is probably pretty good for the environment. I'm just gonna have a hazard a guess there.
0: I want to give like a commendation to peas because as a legume, they help fix nitrogen in the soil, but they all, their protein is also excellent. Pea milk is great. Uh, you can make uh, use pea protein to sort of make uh, oat milk taste better to uh, legumes are great for making a vegan ice cream and pea protein is also what's in Beyond Burgers. So uh, thumbs up for peas. I don't know about cabbage. Though.
1: And your carrots and potatoes are probably not having so much COT if they're grown locally. Hashtag keep things local. It's, it's a lot of this, this this sort of thing of, if, if you're keeping things local, veganism is not bad. I think it's important. We've, we've talked about a lot of the bad things here, but people who are not vegans can very easily eat a lot of this a lot of these foods. Thank you. So just keep it in mind is that don't always think of meat as bad, veg is good. Think of, you know, almonds and avocados require a lot of water. Asparagus needs to be flown overseas. So just think about what you're eating.
0: But obviously, like, beef and pork, and to an extent poultry, and mutton, and all these sorts of things, and lamb, and veal, and dairy, they all come with a really high carbon cost, probably much higher than almonds and avocados. So keep that in mind when you're making your few choices. Majority plant base is probably always the way to go.
3: And, and perhaps it's also, I guess, maybe having a balanced diet, so a kind of mix between maybe poultry and and veg um and also all locally sourced could also maybe be better because that's also reducing your need for different types of vegetables which might have to be flown in flown in and it also reduces the need to have more meat on your plate so I, maybe it's this idea which you could bring up instead of becoming a vegetarian or a vegan if you're not up for that i don't know why you wouldn't be but if you're not up for that then Maybe kind of try and find this balance sites, this the in between range. Um, and that, that could also help a lot, so
0: and this is sort of a i wouldn't call it a mantra but this is something that he shows said on more than one occasion and i don't exactly understand what he means i think it this it's this logical fallacy called the compromise fallacy i don't know if it's the exact name but this idea you know eating too much meat is obviously bad but it's this concept that maybe somewhere in between plant-based and eating too much meat is a good thing and he, he talked about you know reducing the demand for different vegetables that know exactly what that means um, but uh, and you know maybe having some meat like it doesn't the less meat the better really um and i wouldn't say a compromise is the way to go i'd say try and get as much plant-based as you can um and hopefully that's 100 percent plant-based because that reduces the carbon emissions the most and like the a balanced diet but a balanced diet of whole plant foods is really is really the optimal thing for the environment i would say
1: yeah that's exactly what i'm doing we're not going vegetarian or vegan
0: well uh that didn't age well.
1: Again, because it's not necessarily about completely cutting out these things from your diet, but it's about saying we want to eat less meat and we want to eat less of these not environmentally friendly foods. And we want to eat more environmentally foods and locally support source foods because less having these blanket regulations can mean that maybe you have no beef and no chicken, but maybe actually some of the veg you eat is worse than having chicken.
0: Uh, if you see my blog post when I became vegetarian, You'll see that I literally said, used the word blanket rule in support of vegetarianism. So, I don't know, what was going through my mind then, but whatever, let's move on.
1: Because it's been flown in and all of this stuff. So, rather than having these blanket rules, you should consider about what's better for the environment. And we have beef every now and then just to maintain some iron.
0: That's really rubbish because you can just get an iron supplement. There's lots of iron in plant foods. That's... (sighs) You don't need beef to get iron, like, that's all I'm saying.
1: Because that, that's important for diet. And if, if everyone sort of cut down on it like this, it, you don't have to just go vegetarian or go vegan. You should just start. You maybe cut out one meat meal a week and replace it with vegetarian and then move to two. It, that, that's really what you've got to think about. Is it's Veganism is not bad. Vegetarianism is not bad. But it's not just about that. It's a
0: No, veganism is not about that. It's about not killing animals for taste pleasure.
1: About having a more sustainable food system in general.
0: And like, I can't believe sort of the cognitive distance. because at the start I was going like all on about how, you know, it's so much better to eat plants. And then here I am defending my so-called flexitarian diet. Um, the most sustainable food system is surely a primarily organic plant-based food system without the need for animals because it's just more efficient that way. And, and the stuff I said about beef and a it's it's so ridiculous. And I was trying to defend what I was doing at the time, but you know, I've grown up from that. And I think everyone should also see that plant-based diet is the way to go, it is the more sustainable option. Flexitarianism is, you know, it's not necessarily the best. This, It's a compromised fallacy, we think, oh, because somewhere in the middle it must be good, it's just not really.
2: Yeah, and we've talked about this before, like, not everything is gonna be the silver bullet. Vegetarianism and veganism are, they're not the silver, silver bullet, bullet, not by a long way. They're not gonna help solve all the agricultural problems and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're not the silver bullet, but I think they will go, or at least veganism will go a long way, and plant-based diets will go a long way too hugely hugely cut down on agriculture emissions and land usage and also there's a huge number of other problems that are not so environmentally related like um if you think about zoonotic diseases are often caused by keeping animals in captivity and also generally sort of animal welfare issues and animal rights issues Are this veganism is ultimately the silver bullet to solve those because if we're not exploiting animals then animals don't get exploited and that's about all there is to it
3: so you've got to keep that in mind I definitely agree with that i definitely agree with that sandhya and i think that um i think that if you're just a vegetarian or just a vegan you are you you can say that you're doing your part in helping the planet and you definitely are but there's always more that you can do so maybe maybe it's becoming a vegetarian or a partial vegetarian and getting an electric vehicle
0: yeah i mean this is really what we talked about in episode 22 is that of course you know a plant-based diet is one of the biggest things you can do. It doesn't mean you should stop there. It doesn't mean you should become complacent. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't seek out even more environmentally friendly plant-based foods. But I think it should really be the baseline from which you make other environmentally friendly decisions.
3: And it's like those those kind of, the more you do, um, the, the more of these small changes that you make. I guess it's the sum of all these small, these small solutions which will make, which will kind of form a bigger solution. Veganism is not a get out of environment free card.
0: Nah. Of course not, but it should be the baseline for dealing with these issues.
3: And I think on that note, we will end this episode. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you for listening.
0: Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.